everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the stay and we thank you for the opportunity to come together here this morning and uh, get to open up your word together. Um, Lord, we just pray that you speak to our hearts this morning and uh, give me the words to say, Lord, that you would uh, communicate your truth with people here this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here together. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Good morning. Man, wow. Look at us, huh? Look at us. Feel like, feel like, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is uh, exciting. Um, you know, obviously we, we shared some news with everybody last week about a uh, coming transition that will be happening. Um, technically not in place yet. However, we wanted to kind of segue over uh, into that transition as smoothly as possible. So I will be with you guys for the next couple of weeks doing a series with you guys on the book of Habakkuk. Um, I'm excited to be with you guys again. A lot of familiar faces. A lot of you I've been with before in the middle school. Some I haven't, but I know you pretty well. But I'm excited to get to know you uh, better. Um, if you don't know already, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm, my last name is Araujo, but don't worry about that. Um, I'm excited to be with you guys, excited and looking forward to uh, what God's going to be doing here at uh, City. So uh, open up with me to the book of Habakkuk, if you will. If you have your Bibles, don't worry. You can follow along with the verses on the screen. This morning, we're going to be starting the series, of course, in chapter 1. And just a little bit of context before we kind of get into this. Uh, as we go through this book, what you'll see here and what you'll find is God's dealing with mankind. And historically, if you were to pinpoint this uh, with a specific date, it would have been uh, written around 600 BC before Christ. And at this point, the northern kingdom uh, had already been uh, captive, uh, had already been taken into captivity, and the southern kingdom, they were on the brink or on the verge of captivity, and Habakkuk, who is the man who wrote this, he is living in this uh, period of decline, and he is witnessing all of this. He is in distress. He's confused. He's noticing what's going on around him, the wickedness that has taken place, and he is burdened with several different questions. He's, again, uh, confused, doesn't know what's going on, why the people have abandoned God, why God's people have turned away. And what confuses him even more than that is that it seems as though to him that God is indifferent to this. Seemingly, it seems like God doesn't care that the people, his own people, have turned away. And so he's confused as to why the people have done that and why God's response has been what it's been. And in this book, we get to see that conversation. We see him converse with God as he is processing these things. And he asks God a series of different questions. And at the core of them is all uh, 
why? Why? A few different questions, for example, is why, God, why don't you do something? Why have you let this happen? Why are you allowing this to happen? He asks, why don't you intervene, God? Why aren't you doing anything? And maybe you can relate to that, um, maybe not necessarily in this specific context, but maybe you've been in a position where you can look at Habakkuk and, and relate to these questions that he's asked of God. God, where are you? Why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? Maybe you can relate to that feeling. Maybe you've been in a place. Maybe there's been a certain situation or circumstance in your life where things that are going on in the world around you or maybe even in your own life have left you confused and full of questions as well. And you've asked God why, because you don't understand. And maybe you've gone through that uh, at some point in your life, and maybe some of you are here today and you're going through that right now. Some of you have had to process, even myself, uh, numerous things. Division, right? Kind of strife in the family. Separation. Divorce. I was 11 years old when my parents got divorced. And I questioned why that was happening. I was young, I didn't understand. I didn't know what was going on, but some of you I know have had to deal with that as well and wonder those things and wonder why, right? We've not been far removed now from a global pandemic. Just a few years back, we're kind of at the tail end of it now, but some of us, most of us, were impacted pretty heavily by it, all of us, I would say, some more than others, but we kind of found ourselves maybe questioning or, or thinking and wondering, hey, God, why is this going on? Why don't you intervene? Why are you letting this happen? Fortunately, like I said, some of us were impacted by this uh, more than others, and we lost fellow loved ones, people that we care about, family, friends. And we wonder why. Maybe it's totally unrelated to COVID, but you've lost people you care about, and you can't Wrap your head around why this has happened. Habakkuk, he is also processing things here. And as we go through this book, I want us to think about different things that we have gone through and also maybe going through right now. And I want us to turn and look at Habakkuk and see his example for us, see how he's reacted upon witnessing all these different things that are taking place around him. If you open up to Habakkuk chapter 1, the first verse right off the bat here, the first thing we see is this. It says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And before we kind of go into that a little bit further, let me just explain what this is and again, give us a little bit more context. The first thing we notice here is that Habakkuk was a prophet. Right? A prophet was somebody who literally in in, in in the word itself, it means to be a forth teller, to be someone who speaks forth, right? And furthermore, this is somebody who would receive a special revelation, a utterance that they would share on behalf of God. There's a definition here for us from New Unger's Bible Dictionary on what a prophet is. It is someone who is divinely inspired to communicate God's will to his people and to disclose the future to them. One thing that we know about, or a few things that we know about Habakkuk is 
that he was sensitive, right? We see that because he obviously despises and hates lawlessness. He, he can't stand wickedness. We see that he is also caring, which is fitting because Habakkuk means to embrace. We also see that he is aware, right? He obviously is aware of his surroundings. He knows what's going on. That's why he is distraught. That's why he's distressed. That's why he's confused. He understands and sees what's going on around him. He's also educated. He's a smart man, an intellectual man. We also see here in this first verse that he received an oracle. An oracle is a pronouncement, a special revelation again from God, and often it comes with warning. And what he receives here is often, you know, something that is synonymous with prophets. This verb, as you can see, saw, right, to see. Again, it's synonymous with prophets because often the Lord give them or would give them dreams and visions. But in this case, in some cases, it wasn't necessarily something that they saw it literally, but something that God's spirit embedded so much so in their lives that it was almost as clear as actually seeing this picture. And he has this burden, and he has this in his heart, in his life, and this is what we see as a result of him receiving that approximately, again, 600 years before Christ. There's not really an exact date that we can pinpoint this back to, but what's really important for us to know is just the time period that this was written in so we understand the context. This would have been written in the same period as uh, Nahum uh, and Zephaniah. Um, the thing that we need to understand is that it was written between the reign of King Josiah and Jehoiakim. These two kings, and during that time, you also would have um, seen uh, Prophet Jeremiah, somebody that might be familiar with, uh, you, you might be familiar with. During this time, if you would like, um, you can read more and get more context on this if you read Kings and Chronicles, but in Israel, there were 10 tribes. And they were 10 tribes that were in the north. They were called Israel. And then there were two tribes in the south, and they were called Judah. About a few years before that, 400 so years, 10,000 years before Christ, King David, uh, obviously all of us, I would assume, know who that is, was ruling, and all of the tribes were unified. But at this point, they had separated. And the northern tribes had already been taken into captivity, but the southern tribes had not. While the north tribe was in exile and captive under Assyria, the southern tribes, as we said, they were on the verge of captivity, but they had not been taken captive, but instead they began to drift away from God. And all this is taking place, and Habakkuk, again, is seeing all of this happen, and he notices that there's another powerful nation that is on the rise. It used to be Assyria. Assyria is the one that's taken the northern tribes captive. Egypt also came and went. But there is another, another nation here which would be a world power that is on the rise and rising to prominence, and that is Babylon. And again, this is during the reign of Jehoiakim. What's unique about this book, and as we'll read this together, we'll see that 
prophets, again, they usually get the special revelation from God, and what they're tasked to do is to bring that message and share it with God's people. Again, that was the responsibility. As we saw, by definition, that's what a prophet typically would do. That was his responsibility. But what's unique about this passage is that this prophet is not talking to people about God. He is talking to God about people. And that's what I find very interesting and what you'll notice here that is different than other uh, prophets. And as we open up and we continue to read uh, Habakkuk, we obviously see uh, verse one here, but in verse two, we start to see the dialogue take place. The first thing that he says here and the first problem or so, the question that arises is something along the lines of why does God permit evil? And this is his words exactly. Again, it'll be on the screen, but you can follow along if you have your Bibles with you. He says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. In other words, uh, what he's saying here is, God, why are you refusing to listen and answer my prayer? See, intellectually, obviously, he knows that God is listening. He knows that God can hear him, but what it feels like and what it seems like is that although he is crying out, God isn't saying anything, and he's not doing anything. Habakkuk here, his heart is broken. He's looking around him, and all he sees is injustice, right? He only sees evil. The people have begun to drift away. He says the law has been broken down. The people are turning away from God, giving in to their own wickedness, and they're somehow getting away with it. God seems, again, indifferent to what is going on, and again, this overwhelms him with questions. Maybe you have questions like that. Maybe, again, you have had times in your life where you have had questions, whether it is regarding uh, things in your own life or even the world around you. Culture today, right? the, the, the environment that you're in. Maybe, maybe just as Habakkuk did, you have to bring those questions to God. My encouragement to you, again, is to come before God if we do have those questions and ask because he does listen. He does care as Habakkuk does know. Even though sometimes it does not feel like that, he does listen and he does answer. As we will see as we continue to read God's response, although Habakkuk is in despair, his distress did not draw away did not draw him away from God. It did not make him move away from God, but rather towards him. And this is the first point I want us to really remember this morning is that we should not let injustice or destruction 
diminish or compromise your faith. Don't let your circumstance, don't let what's going on around you, the things that are happening in your own life and the world around you, shake your faith. Take away from who God is. Don't let that um, jeopardize your, your faith or minimize your faith. As you have read here and as you read on the screen, he was hurting. Habakkuk was struggling, he was grieving, and he was confused, and yet he believed that God was all-powerful and loving. He had those questions, but that did not change the fact that God is who he is. And the temptation for us is that when times like this do come along, when we do have questions, when we are burdened with questions and we, we don't understand what's going on, the temptation for us is to do one of two things. We either drift away from God for two different reasons. One, we, we deny or refuse or do not believe that he is all-powerful. Right? We might say, well, if God was powerful enough, he would stop this. If God was really all-powerful, he wouldn't let this keep happening. Maybe you do believe he's all-powerful, but you don't believe or you're tempted to believe that he is not good, that he is not loving. That is the other temptation. When things don't go the way that you expect or desire or want and you don't understand what's going on, you might think, yeah, he has the power to stop it, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care to stop it. And you start to deny his goodness and his love. And this is not a tactic that's unfamiliar to Satan. Right? These lies are something that we see even in the beginning of time. If you look at Genesis chapter 3 with Eve, when he's talking about the, the tree, and he says, he doesn't want you to eat from that tree? Why would he do that? Right? Why would a good God want to keep away such a delicious fruit from you? One that will make you like a God. Why would he want to keep that away from you? Again, these lies are not new to us today. And unfortunately, it's at moments like this that some people allow pain, some people allow disappointment to get in the way and harden their heart towards God. They walk away from God. They build up walls. But when tragedy comes, what we should really do is look to God. Look to God when you are in those places. When you are in times, in situations like this, this is exactly when we definitely should look to God. And unfortunately, we make the mistake to look everywhere but God. When we're in times like this, we look all around us. We look at all these different things that the world has to offer, material things, people. We try to fulfill ourselves and fill whatever it is that we have in us that is empty, and we look everywhere to satisfy that pain and the disappointment except look up. We look everywhere else but to God. That's the mistake we often make. We push God away. We let our hearts become hardened because of our pain and disappointment instead of looking to God. 
So again, do not let injustice, destruction, sin, don't let those things get in the way of your faith. Don't let those things diminish your faith. Do not compromise your faith just because of your circumstances. If you continue to read, you see that Habakkuk is finally responded to in verse five. And in verse five, we see God's response, and the first thing he says is this. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told, or if told. So before God specifically divulges his plan with Habakkuk, he first reminds him that he is working. He is moving. He's like, all right, hold up. I, I can see all this. I know what's happening. I am moving. I, I am at work. And I like this verse here because it's actually quoted later on in Scripture in Acts chapter 13 by Paul as he is Speaking in Antioch, he says this in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 40 through 41. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. During Habakkuk's time, God would work in ways that people wouldn't even imagine. And Paul shares this with the people in Antioch in light of the gospel, that God has in fact done something about sin, that he gave his son to die. And there were those that ignored it. That did not believe. God is doing things. He is at work and he is working today. And those that seek God can be a part of it. However, in this context, in this case, Habakkuk, once he heard God explain what he was doing, he was blown away. When Habakkuk heard what God was doing, it was not at all what he was expecting, and even more so, it is not at all what he wanted to hear. So what, God, what did God tell Habakkuk? This was God's answer to him in verse six. Let's read together. This is what it says. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, and again, here the Chaldeans, again, he is talking about the Babylonians, this is a great nation, a great world power that would rise up um, to prominence, uh, become a, a massive nation, right? He says that bitter and hasty nation, they were hateful, they were hot-headed, they considered themselves superior, a dominant race. He says, who marched through the breath of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God is telling Habakkuk that the Babylonians would take Judah from them, that they would come and take different nations, Judah being one of them. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. 
Here he's saying that they are self-confident, that they are boastful, they are proud. And again, you see that in their qualities, uh, in the people, uh, but also in their leader, Nebuchadnezzar, who founded this empire. It says their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. He's saying, Habakkuk, you think you've seen violence, but let me tell you, you've not seen anything yet. Just you wait until the Babylonians get here. Then you'll really see what it's like. For example, the Babylonians are the ones that destroyed Nineveh. And the destruction that they brought upon Nineveh was so much that this, this capital, right? Nineveh being a capital, uh, this large city, the destruction was so large that people could not even identify where Nineveh was. That's how powerful these people are. In verse 10 he says, At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. This is a powerful nation who relied on their own strength. It says here, their strength was their God. They didn't need a God. That was their God to them. And God what he's saying here to Habakkuk is that he intended to give Judah a wake-up call by giving them over to Babylon. That Babylon would come and take them captive. And I can only imagine what Habakkuk's reaction is to this. Right? I don't know if there's uh, many people who are uh, avid or fans of uh, the office, but I would imagine, um, I would imagine uh, Michael Scott when he's told uh, that Toby is back from Costa Rica, and he thinks this is a joke, and he goes back to his uh, desk, and he finally sees Toby again, and he does that, no, right, when he starts screaming, no, and he starts panicking and freaking out, or maybe it's not necessarily like that, but more so that infamous kind of Jackie Chan meme where he's just absolutely confused, right? The point is this. I, I can imagine that Habakkuk is totally blown out of his socks. He has no idea where this came from. He's brought these questions to God. He's laid it out before him, and then God responds with this to him, this crazy idea. Why, why are you doing this? Did you, did you not hear what I said? Didn't you just hear that, I, that, that, I'm, that I'm asking you all these things about the wickedness that is taking place, all this evil that's going on, that's being left unpunished. And so your solution, your solution is to fix evil by bringing in a nation that is even more evil and allowing them to take us captive. How can I trust you, right? I would assume he's probably got even more questions now. 
How is this happening? How can this even be possible? How is this the solution? This is only going to make things even worse. And God, he is going to use the Babylonians to judge his people. And Habakkuk, he cannot understand why. In fact, why would God choose to use a more wicked nation to punish one in compar- that is in comparison way less? So he responds. Habakkuk turns to him and he says, Are you not from everlasting? Some commentators suggest this is an insult. Think of it like this. Wait a minute. What? Are you not infinite? Are you good and wise? Aren't you a loving God? This? Why why this? Why is this happening? How can a holy God use a nation like Babylon? I want us to be reminded again that God moves in mysterious ways. If you look back at Isaiah 55, again, verses 8 and 9, it says, His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. We are not God. And we may not understand why. And sometimes we may even have questions, even more questions. In some cases, we may not agree, understand. Yet, I want us to keep looking at Habakkuk's response. Because in the midst of his authentic and genuine cries, he then follows this up. And he says, we shall not die. He says, O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for a proof. Habakkuk is a model for us. He should be a model for us. Why? Because he is honest. Habakkuk, he he doesn't shy away from his emotions. As we can see, he's a pretty emotional and, and authentic individual. He's genuine. And he laments and he expresses his emotions and feelings to God, yet he remains faithful. He has questions, but he knows that God is faithful. He does trust God. And I believe that when we are in times of tragedy as well, when we find ourselves in situations and circumstances where we don't understand, when we have questions, we should be honest. We can be honest. God desires that from us, to come to him and and ask questions, to be honest with him, to be vulnerable, to, to be ourselves, to be authentic, and to be transparent. We have to admit and recognize that there is pain, that there is hurt, We don't have to minimize that. Not trying to minimize at all what we go through. And and God isn't either. The point is not to minimize those things, but to acknowledge it and admit it 
and to be emotionally realistic. However, at the same time, we don't allow those things to push us away from God. Our circumstances, the situations that we're in, they don't push us away from him. Habakkuk, again, he brings forth all of these questions to him. He asks. He doesn't question God. He doesn't say, hey, this is not right. We have to do it this way. But he asks because he doesn't understand, but he asks. He continues to ask as he closes out the chapter here from verses 13 to 17. And he asks because he's most likely, pretty clearly, he's frightened. He is afraid. Who wouldn't be absolutely devastated to hear something like this? I would be shaking. I mean, you, you, we just talked about what they've done to a city like Nineveh. We know how powerful they are. We, we heard what God said about this nation. I would be trembling, and he is afraid and frightening about what is to come and what lies ahead as well. And maybe, maybe once more, you and I find ourselves in a very situation where we are afraid because we don't know what's going to happen. Things happen, and we don't know what the future holds. We can't see what's going to happen, what the result is. But I'll tell you, who does know? And that is God. Nothing is a surprise to him. He knows all things. He is not frightened by anything. He was in charge, and he still is in charge today. He is in control of all things. He can do the impossible, and he can do the unimaginable, like we see here. Using an evil nation to fulfill his plan. None are more righteous than he is, and he is all-powerful, and he is good. He is loving. The temptation to deny or not believe those things, do not believe that because he is. He is the same God. He does not change. The application for us today, what I want us to hold on to is this. When you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. Trust who God is. I get that there's sometimes in life when you're going through things and you don't understand what's happening, you can't see why things are happening, why they're playing out the way they are, and you're wondering where God's at. You can't see him, you can't hear him. But I want to remind you that he is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he does not change. He has always been faithful and is still faithful and will always be faithful. So hold fast, not to the situation and the circumstances and the things of this world, but hold fast to him. Hold fast to God and his character and his promises, even when you don't get the answers that you want or that you expect. Right, we have an incredible advantage today, right? We see here and we read that God intended to send Judah into captivity under Babylon as a judgment for their sin in order to bring them back to him as well. However, this didn't mean that Babylon, their evil and their sin would go unpunished. 
He's not just going to let their sin and their evil slide. That's not what he is saying. And again, we have a privilege and we have an advantage today of having the word of God in its entirety. We have the scope of history to look back on. We can look back and see even in our own lives how God has been faithful. Even in moments we didn't know how or how it was even possible for him to. If we look back, God did exactly what he said he would do. Today, Babylon, this mighty, powerful nation, this wicked, proud nation, today that lies under dust and rubble. We know that God does judge evil. And even more so than that, he is, again, faithful. Faithful to his promises. Faithful to his character because he does not change. We might not always understand it all, but we can trust God. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to open up your word, um, to study the book of Habakkuk and learn from this prophet, Lord. Learn about uh, the example that he is for us when it comes to coming to you, Lord, and, and asking questions and, and being honest. Lord, you desire to hear from us. You know our hearts, Lord, but you want to hear from us. I pray that whatever situation we may find ourselves in and circumstances that we may not understand, I, I pray that we would come to you and not run from you, not give in to temptation to believe the lies that might be thrown at us, but to remain faithful to you because you are faithful. You are unchanging. You are able to do the impossible. And I pray that we would trust in you. Look to you. And pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, what is it? Good morning and citizen.